And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and Merry Christmas to you all. God's wrath, something we don't often like to talk about, and yet it is something that a lot of preachers seem to reflect on in their sermons. Religious type people are always good at seeing everything that has gone wrong in the world and pointing to that and saying, see, there is God's wrath. We see God's wrath in war, <laughs> in violence. Sometimes we see God's wrath in the simplest things like illness or the fact that you can't even get three words out straight just because you wanted to sing a few Christmas carols on Christmas Eve. The problem with God's wrath is that it's easy to see all the things that are wrong in the world and say, well, surely that must be God's fault. But it's hard to interpret what God wants to tell us. I'm often reminded of Dana Carvey, the Lutheran comedian who talked about, um, had a little skit that he did on Saturday Night Live of a church lady who was always blaming Satan for everything that was going on around her. Could it be Satan this? Could it be Satan that? Could it be God? Could it be God's wrath? On Christmas, we often talk about the angels because we have a whole choir of angels that shows up and sings to those shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem. But angels are usually, in the Old Testament, a sign of God's wrath as well. You do not want to run into an angel in a dark alley. Basically, every time an angel shows up in scripture, people are terrified because they aren't sure what is going to come next, but are fairly convinced in their mind that someone is probably going to die. The book of Judges, a case in point, Gideon has a visit from the angel of the Lord, and Gideon says, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Not yay, not wow, but alas. And so the Lord has to say to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. The same happens in Isaiah chapter 37. We had two readings this morning or this evening from Isaiah <coughs> chapter 9 and chapter 11. But this comes a little bit later on where the Lord says, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David, speaking of Jerusalem, which had come under siege. The next verse says, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. The angel of the Lord shows up. And next thing you know, 185,000 dead soldiers. When an angel shows up, we, like Mary, should wonder what kind of greeting this might be. And it's the same with God's wrath. In scripture, it is clear that God is angry with sin and angry at the state of the world that he created perfect, but as we heard in our very first reading this evening, soon fell into disrepair and disarray and enmity with God because of what our first parents chose to do, which is go their own way. 
it's clear from scripture that God wants change. But like the book of Revelation, if we look at the world around us, it's very difficult to know for sure what's going on. Yes, the snakes are bad. The adders and the vipers and the lions are bad and the wolves are bad. The horns are bad in Revelation. The lake of fire is bad. But God, what do you want us to do? In the same way, we look at our world today and see what's going on and think God surely is angry at something. Whether it be wars, known and unknown, and for every war that we hear about on the news, there's at least two more that are going on below the radar screen, or disease, or famine, when we live in the midst of plenty, or violence and bloodshed, sometimes even on our own streets. There is death, and there is destruction. (coughs) Sin seems to be everywhere, and so we might conclude that God is upset. Now, it's good to see God's judgment in a very general sense in these things, just like it is good to have some healthy, respectful fear of the angel of the Lord. There is, in a certain point of view, a way that we can say that COVID is God's judgment, the war is God's judgment, that suffering is God's judgment. But what does that get you to say that? We know our sin is ever before God, but now what? What kind of message is God trying to deliver? How can you and I, especially those of us who are Christians, walk around in the midst of this mess and still proclaim a God who is good, merciful, and gracious? The only way we can know God in that way, the way that God wants the world to know him, not as a God of wrath and judgment, but as a God who is good and who is gracious and who is merciful, is through his word. Yes, the word that is written in our scriptures, but most importantly for our purposes this evening, the word that was wrapped up in rags and laid in a manger. Even in the Old Testament, When God wanted to reveal that he was, in fact, desiring our salvation and not our death, he did the silliest, most ridiculous things. Not at all the kinds of things that he did to show judgment, which are always big and flashy and violent and difficult to understand. Maybe the best case in point was the king of Syria or one of the generals of the Syrian army, Naaman, who came down with a skin disease. The Bible called it leprosy. Whatever it was, whether it was incredibly bad eczema or true leprosy, Naaman was looking for a cure. He was pretty sure he was going to die. Now, it so happened that Naaman had a slave girl in his household who was Jewish. She was an Israeli, and she worshipped the God who had spoken through Moses, the God who created the heavens and the earth. And she says, Naaman, why don't you go and visit the prophet of that God, Elisha, and see what he says for you to do? So Elisha, or Naaman, goes to visit the prophet, but the prophet won't even come out to talk to him. All he does is send him a message. It's such a simple one, too. Go wash yourself in the River Jordan, and you'll be cured. Well, if you're used to thinking of God in apocalyptic terms, 
God of lightning and thunder and violence and war and really big problems, then it seems pretty silly that he's going to solve your skin disease by just washing yourself in a perfectly ordinary river. And Naaman says as much to his servant girl. If your God is so powerful, if he is so mighty, if he is so great, why isn't he getting me to do some great or mighty or powerful thing? What good can it possibly do me to go and have a bath? Don't we have enough rivers in Syria to wash in? But the daughter says to him, or the slave girl says to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Isn't it worth a try? And so Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, swaddling clothes sounds so Victorian. I almost feel like I have to deliver that with a British accent because really swaddling clothes are rags. You will find a baby wrapped in rags and he is going to be sleeping in a feeding trough for animals. And this will be a sign for you of what? A sign of the goodness and graciousness and mercy of God. A sign that you can only know through the word that has been declared to you by the angels. That you will find this God not in the lightning that streaks from one side of heaven to the other, or the winds blowing, or the snow accumulating in a drifts, or the earthquakes, or the various things that we can do as humans to one another. You will not find him in nuclear explosions, or in weaponry, or shows of force. You want to find a good God a gracious God, a saving God, you will go to Bethlehem and you will go and find a baby wrapped in rags and laid in a manger. That's where you will find a good and gracious God. A God who is not here to bring wrath, but a God who has come to save, to save his people. Because after all, it's a baby. As I said in Sunday, what could you possibly fear from a child? Little Owen, who's up here in his mother's arms, what could he possibly do to us? What threat could he possibly be to you? And there is God, our God, in the form of a little child. Now, the Lord says, you know that my primary goal, the thing I love to do, the thing I want to do, is not destroy you is not judge you, is not, as the far side cartoonist famously said, push the smite button on you. God wants to save you, redeem you, and let you know that he is reconciled to you and to us, despite all the things we have done, despite all the things we have said, despite the fact that we have told Santa we need to be on the nice list, even though we know in our heart we should be on the naughty this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in rags, laid in an animal's feeding trough. And God is the same today. If you look at this building, it's nothing fancy. 
You want a fancy building in Montreal? You've got lots to choose from. This is not one of them. You've got Notre Dame downtown. You've got the St. Joseph's Oratory. You've got Mary Queen of the World. You've got <laughs> so many beautiful churches that either Ernest Hemingway or Mark Twain, I can't remember who, said you can't throw a brick in Montreal without breaking a church window. But it's in places like this that God speaks his word and tells you where to find him in his gracious and merciful and good nature. You find him in a bowl with water in it, much like Naaman washed himself in in the Jordan, where God says, take that water and in with my word, that will make children to me out of people that are children of sin and Satan and the world. Come to my table. And my son will give you his body and his blood in bread, which is basically wheat grains and water compressed into a sheet and cut into a circle and a glass of wine. And in that, God will come to you to deliver you from your sins, to announce the favorable day to you, to announce goodwill to you and peace on earth. God even deigns to come to us through simple human voice. Even when it's sick, even if it's sore, even if it has a cough drop shoved into its cheek. That's crazy. Don't we want God to show up in the thunder and the lightning and make his voice known? If he wants to show his wrath, that's what he will do. But if you want to find a God who loves you, come and listen to what he has to say through his word, through his servants. There's an ancient Dutch hymn that I think really captures this idea of where God comes as a good and gracious and merciful Lord. It's called, What is This Place? What is this place where we are meeting? Only a house, the earth its floor, walls and a roof sheltering people, windows for light, if it's light out, an open door, unless it's snowing. Yet it becomes a body that lives when we are gathered here and know our God is near. If you look for God in the brash showiness of nature, you will find a God too often of judgment and wrath. But in the simple things to which God's word points, we find a very different God, a God who wraps himself up in rags to announce peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And so Merry Christmas to you all in the name of Jesus. Amen.